pray lord may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight you who are our rock and our redeemer amen brothers and sisters in jesus it's an amazing feeling to be noticed by someone whom you hold in very high regard right so what would this look like? What would be an example of this? I want you to imagine, just for example, imagine that you get to meet uh, one of your favorite celebrities. So who would be like your favorite celebrity? Would it be Messi, or would it be like Beyonce, or would it be the President of the United States? Uh, let's just say for the sake of argument that it's Beyonce. So you get to go to this meet and greet event and you're backstage with Beyonce. And so there's all these autograph seekers and there's all these fans and as this is going on, you make eye contact with Beyonce, and then Queen Bee herself says to you, girl, I love those earrings. Where did you get those? And you're like, so you start talking about earrings, and then you ask her where she gets her earrings, and pretty soon you're talking about earrings and, and fashion and, and style, and, and on the outside you're trying to play it cool, but on the inside you're like, I can't believe this is happening. I'm talking to Beyonce, and she's paying attention to me, and she's noticing me. Like, that would be amazing. Let me uh, give you just a slightly different example. So this one would be for the fellas, uh, all the single fellas. You know who you are. Um, let's say that there is this girl that you know. You don't really know her, because you've never talked to her personally, because she's too intimidating. But like, you know of her. And this is not a knock on you and your social skills and your appearance or anything, but just calling this what it is. She's way out of your league, right? <laughs> so guys, there's this girl that is like 1,000 times out of your league. You've like never talked to her. You're terrified of her. And then one day you're at a party and you end up uh, going home in an Uber, sharing an Uber, and like you start out and you're both on your phones, but then she starts paying attention to you, and then she starts smiling at you and joking with you and like laughing. You're talking and, and you're really enjoying each other's company. And you're trying to play it cool on the outside, but on the inside, you're like, I can't believe this girl's talking to me. She's paying attention to me. Uh, she's interested in me. It's amazing. And it's kind of like that song uh, from the 90s, which is going to immediately date me, but where the guy is singing, you know, she's so high above me, like, uh, what does he say? Aphrodite, Joan of Arc. He's just listing this, like, totally unattainable woman that is way out of his league. And in the verses of that song, which I did look up this week, he says, what could a guy like me ever really offer? She's as perfect as can be. Why should I even bother? And yet, she comes to speak to me. It's so unreal. So, maybe this singer from 1999 has got this woman on like a little too high of a pedestal. But you get the point. It is an amazing feeling to be noticed by someone that you hold in incredibly high regard. So, as we think of this concept, like people that feel so high above us, noticing us, um, what about God? What about God? Because no one's higher above us than God. And does God notice us? Does God pay attention to us? Does God even think about people like us at all? That's the question David is asking as he writes Psalm 8. That's the thing that he's pondering. And so he says it like this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? 
the Son of Man that you care for him? As we look at the massive size and the mind-boggling complexity of the universe, it seems very unlikely that the great big God up there would care at all about little tiny us. But he does care about little tiny us. Believe it or not, God created this vast, massive, complex universe for little tiny us. It's a fascinating thing. You should do this sometime. Go to the beginning of your Bible and go to Genesis 1, which is not hard to find because it's the first page. And in Genesis 1, you see you know, the creation account where God is describing how he created the world. And read through that and think about it from the perspective of being a person, being a human. Because what God is doing in those six days of creation is he's taking a you know, malformed mushball with no atmosphere, uninhabitable planet, and over six days he's intentionally making it a little bit better each day for people to live in. Like first he creates light and warmth so we can see, and then he makes air so we can breathe, and then he makes dry ground so we can stand, and then he makes plants for shelter, and then he makes fruits and vegetables for food. And finally, when God has finished creating the only one of all the planets that is custom-tailored for human existence, then and only then does God put people in. And not only does he put them in, but he puts them in charge. Adam and Eve are the crown of God's creation. They're the only ones made in his image. And their job is to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature that moves along the ground. And so you read these verses and you think about like this vast, complex universe, but looking through this lens, you realize God made this whole universe for you. He made it for you. And it's there in even the smallest details. This is one that always sticks with me as I read Genesis chapter 1, is the stars. We ask the kids how many stars are there. You know, there's millions and billions of stars, this massive, massive universe. In Genesis 1, what is God's listed reason for making the stars? It is so that you can have a calendar. God says, let us make some stars so that here on planet Earth, human beings can mark some seasons and days and years. And this makes you feel a certain kind of way about being a human being. When you look at the vast panoply of the heavens, and God made this so you can have a calendar. It's remarkable. And so David says, what is man that you're mindful of him? What are we, God, that you care about us? And yet... You made mankind a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. The flocks and the herds, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Mankind is the crown of all of it. Why would God do so much for mortal human beings? I don't know. But he did. What's unfortunate, though, and you find this if you keep reading Genesis, what's unfortunate is the way that human beings responded, right? That after we had been given these amazing gifts from God, as soon as the devil came slithering into the garden and tempted Adam and Eve to sin against God, they just immediately did it. Even though God had done so much for them, they turned against his love and care, they jumped into Satan's rebellion of sin, and immediately our world was plunged into the state of brokenness and sin that it still is in today. And by this point, you would expect God to be totally done with human beings. Like, why would he want to have anything to do with us now? 
after we turned our back on the gifts he gave and corrupted the perfect world that he had made. What interest could an almighty God have in fallen sinful people except an interest in destroying us? But God didn't destroy us. Instead, he unveiled a very different plan. And it was a plan which involved him doing the last thing we would have ever expected, which is that he was going to become one of us. Taking on a human nature, taking on a human body, and coming personally into this world to save us. Now, as Christians, I think we've heard this story so much about what Jesus did for us, right? That maybe we start to lose our sense of amazement at what is really happening here. Just think about this. God is an eternal spirit, an all-powerful spirit who's existed from all eternity and has never needed a body. And we know that our God is a three-in-one God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so God, the Son, volunteers to go on this mission into the world. So what does he do? Eternal God, an eternal spirit, makes himself so incredibly small, he gives himself a tiny, tiny body, and he is conceived inside of a virgin named Mary. Nine months later, he's born into a world of suffering and pain. And the older he gets, the worse it gets around him. And finally, at age 33, the true eternal God, who's been around forever, allows himself to be captured by human beings who hate him. And he allows his mortal creatures to mock him and spit at him and put him on a cross and crucify him and kill him. And while he's on that cross, he endures an eternity of punishment for sins he didn't do and for a rebellion that he did not participate in. But he's not going through all of this for himself. He's going through it for us because he so deeply cares about each one of us. And so the results of this for each one of us are outlined so beautifully in our second reading today, where Paul says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death in order to present you as holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation." So you think about that. God has brought us from the status of being his enemies all the way to the status of being his holy, perfect children. And the way that he did it was by becoming one of us, taking on a human body, taking on a human nature, and then going and sacrificing himself on the cross. So again, we hear this story all the time. We're familiar with what Jesus did. We talk about it every Sunday. And maybe we start to lose our amazement at what is really happening here. Think back to that scenario that we started with where you get to meet the celebrity. You know, and they're actually paying attention to you and they're actually, like Beyonce is actually talking to you or Messi or whoever is in your mind. How amazing would that be to have attention from this world-famous celebrity? But would that celebrity be willing to die for you? Would they jump and take a bullet for you? Would they give their own heart in a transplant and would they die so that you could live in their place? It's unthinkable. If you took a poll and asked other people, they would say, no, that celebrity should not do that. This person is not that important. This individual is not that big of a deal, but this celebrity is an international treasure. We need them. The celebrity needs to live. 
And how much higher and more important is God than the world's most famous celebrity? Nevertheless, he was willing to step in and die in your spot. God was willing to die for you so that you could live. It's astounding. Why would an eternal, powerful God do this for mortal human beings? We don't know. But he did it. He did it for you. And he's not done doing things for you. Because as we confess in the Apostles' Creed, on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And he ascended into heaven. Now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And what is he doing there? He's interceding for you before your Father. He's also ruling all things for the good of you and for the good of his church. And then one day from there, he's going to come back to judge the living and the dead. In other words, after everything he's already done for you, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is still working. He's still paying attention to you. He is still taking a personal interest in you. And he will not rest until he's brought you safely all the way home to heaven. So we think about Jesus, everything he did for us. And we think about Jesus and everything he continues to do and everything he's going to do. And what is amazing about it is that all these things Jesus is doing, he's not just doing them as the Son of God. He is doing them as a human being. And again, like we get so used to talking about Jesus and what he did that maybe we forget what's going on here. From all eternity, Jesus was only God. He's never needed a human body. He's never had a human nature. He's only eternal, powerful God. Then he takes on this mission where he's going to come into the world, have a human body, have a human nature, die on the cross, rise from the dead, and save us. And he does. But then when he ascended into heaven, he took his body with him. And he kept his human nature with him. And as a result, everything Jesus is ever going to do for us from here on out He's not just doing it as God. He's doing it as a true human being. So in order to save us, Jesus became one of us, and it was permanent. Jesus is now one of us forever. As it says in the book of Hebrews, he is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. So Jesus will not only be true God, but he will be a true human being just like us when he comes again in glory at the last day, at the end of the world. And Jesus will not only be true God, he will be a true human being just like us when God the Father puts everything under his feet and his glory is fully realized. And on that day, Jesus is going to be the final fulfillment of this psalm where it says, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him, yet you crowned him with glory and honor, and you put everything under his feet. In the truest sense of the word, Jesus has redeemed everything that it means to be a human being. Right? Because long, long ago, human beings were perfect and holy. Then we fell into sin and rebellion against God. But now, Jesus restores us to being perfect and holy again. He has restored humanity by becoming a person himself. So the restoration that Jesus is doing, like we're going to see it in its fullness at the end of the world, but we already see it starting to happen right now. And so to close, we're going to read one verse that we kind of skipped over because we saved it. Best for last. Verse 2 is going to be the last verse that we read here where it says, 
From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So I don't know about you, like this is kind of a strange verse in Psalm 8 to me. Most of the times I've read Psalm 8, you're thinking about the glory of God and the stars and the heavens. And yeah, there's this verse about children singing God's praises and you're like, got it, good. And then you go back to the glory and the splendor and the universe. But this is a super important verse. You look at this verse, what is this verse saying? Um, In the light of all the other things in this psalm, this maybe is the most important verse. What is it saying? From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. So you think about this verse. And mankind has an enemy. We have an old evil foe. We have an avenger who's trying to get revenge on God by destroying us. And it is a fallen angel named Satan. And our enemy, our foe, is so dangerous and deadly that he came to a perfect world with perfect people, and he tempted them to fall into sin, and he succeeded. What chance do we possibly have against him? Well, according to this verse, when God's praise comes even from the lips of children and infants, the evil foe is silenced. That is because our children have something Adam and Eve didn't have. Yet, they have Jesus. They have a perfect life that Jesus has already lived in their place, a perfect death that Jesus has already died on their behalf. And thus, in Jesus, our children have a victory so triumphant that it silences the devil himself. Just think about that, like spiritual warfare against the devil. You might assume that a person's got to be really big and strong to withstand the devil. But the faith expressed by a single child as she says her bedtime prayers and the faith that beats silently in the heart of a newly baptized infant, that faith is connected to a power source so strong even the gates of hell are not able to withstand it. And so this is how high God has lifted human beings through faith in Jesus our Savior. Even the youngest of us and the smallest of us has total victory over the devil. Through faith in Jesus our Savior, on the last day, even the youngest of us and the smallest of us will inherit everything. Now, why would an eternal, all-powerful God do all of that for mortal human beings? We don't know, but he did. And we just get to praise him for it forever. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior.